0: This is Legal Design Podcast, and we are the hosts, Nina Toivanen and Henna
1: Tolvanen. In this episode, we discuss compliance culture with Nina Ratsula. Nina is a business ethics and governance professional who has studied how to do things right for her PhD, but also has years of work-life experience in corporate compliance, ethical leadership, and internal control and audit. After working several years in multinational corporations, she now helps organizations at Code of Conduct Company, which she founded in 2018. Tune in to hear more about doing the right thing. Welcome Nina. How would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Thank you for for first of all for in, inviting me here. So very happy to be here and um The introduction is never a short one, but but maybe maybe I could introduce myself by saying that I'm a a wannabe artist who ended up doing a PhD in the management accounting. So I I never thought I would be uh, when I was a child to end up into this this field. But I did uh, spend 12 years in corporations uh, with the internal controls, internal audit and, and compliance programs. And, and after 12 years, I, I realized that actually I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and uh, I ended up building my own company as, and maybe um, combining this uh, wannabe artistic uh, view of, of, of actually providing different services in the in their area of, of compliance and controls, but doing it in a very employee centric way. That's,
0: that's interesting. Um... Many people may find the concept of culture a bit difficult to understand and explain and especially when discussed in relation to working environments. Um, For us humans, it is quite challenging to become aware of our own behavioral patterns and not yet even realize that we are being part of or contributing to some culture. So Nina, how would you define culture? And how to recognize, uh, for example, cultural patterns? This is uh, easy to ask, but difficult
2: to, to, to mm-hmm. answer. And, um, sometimes I've heard this uh, definition that culture is what happens, when, uh, happens in the room when no one is watching. And that is probably part of the truth. So uh, you, you cannot really say much about culture by visiting a corporate website and reading about the corporate values or sustainability efforts or code of conduct. Uh, But it's, it's more of what is not written. And to me, actually, culture is much relating to the employee experience. So in one hand, it is what happens in the room when no one is much watching. But on the other hand, it's also that how do I feel as a new employee or as an old employee, uh, when I kind of look around inside my organization and think that what is really uh, expected of me, what is valued here, how do I get, um, in? what kind of behaviors are rewarded or, or sanctioned. And and this might be something very, very different than the official values and, and uh um you know sustainability programs, but but that's kind of the things that are within the walls of an organization and those are that actually impact our behavior, whether we want it or 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 not.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But yeah, that's one way to, to put it. That's really interesting.
1: And uh, together with Anna Romberg, you are pioneering in compliance culture data gathering by conducting the Nordic Ethics and Compliance Survey. And, well, this basically blows my mind because it would be easy to think that these kind of topics are hard to measure and track. And now there is a whole study and we see actual data about this. Based on the study, do you see any differences between the Nordic countries on how we define and understand culture and the importance of it?
2: That's a great, great question. And uh, generally, it's uh, I'm not sure if I want to make too much of a comparisons between the countries based on the data. Yeah, understandable. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Because of course, it is only one, one, one study and one survey and one aspect, and uh, and even capturing a culture through a survey uh, that is responded by you know several peoples, people all around the Nordics in all in different companies. So so that is uh, uh, not that easy task. But I would say that generally the it's it's more like that the issues uh, and also strengths. Uh, that we have in, in, in this cultural aspect is more generic in in, in, uh, in the Nordic. So I would rather compare Nordic uh, into other parts of the world. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> I think that the, the one thing we have tried to capture with this survey is that we do have this great Nordic values, which is which is definitely a strength in, in Nordic organizations that we trust people. We, we, we you know, in Finland, you know, we have this saying that suomalaisen sanaan voit luottaa, you know, and when you go international, you kind of have this uh, trust and belief in people. And this is quite similar in, in the Nordic countries. And also this maybe relates somehow to the fact that in the official statistics, we are also seen as a less corrupt countries in the world but this at the same time is a challenge because um, and this is maybe a personal uh, opinion but but somehow this trust in the good great Nordic culture and Nordic values may uh, kind of impact in a way that we become a bit of a blind that we cannot see that the ethical issues we have uh, in the in the Nordics and uh, one thing that kind of got, comes out of this survey very strongly is the speak up culture, or I would say lack of it so so no matter what country in in, in the Nordics we talk about, people more more likely will not speak up when they they witness something that they feel that is not right, is not ethical. But we have this thing that uh, it's not obvious for us to raise our voice and talk about difficult Mm. difficult things. And we kind of maybe avoid talking about this. um, Difficult questions that are more ethical, we we it's it's quite clear for a Finn that you know we obey the law, but ethical questions and, and culture of, of compliance, it's not just about following and the law. So uh, one one kind of thing that I always like to raise is that ethics and compliance is uncomfortable. It it should mean uncomfortable discussions, it should mean looking at the mirror and also uh, creating a lot of uh, these uh, ethical struggles and, and uh, difficult conversations with the organizations. And uh, this is uh, something we could do much more in, in, the, in the Nordics. Um, and, and secondly, it's, it's kind of uh, one thing that I, well, maybe actually one thing I could mention where, where I see a difference. Uh, if I think about that, we've done this survey for now, actually this year, we are doing it for the third time with a little bit different scope this year. But anyway, uh, we have received, every time we publish a new report, we receive a lot of uh, invitations to organizations to talk about these aspects. And what I see when I look at the Nordic countries is that actually Finland um, is, is the country wh- where we get least invitations even though we, we do live here so to, to me it seems like that maybe Finland is lacking a little bit of behind in in recognizing that hey actually this 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 cultural stuff is very important topic and and also you can maybe see that that for if if I s- compare Finland and Sweden so Swedish companies typically have much more budget for developing this this topic of course it could be also that they've had these huge corruption scandals with which has made it maybe a bit more kind of um, real, real for, for, for them uh, and in Finland still we might have a lot of these attitudes thinking that you know Doing the right thing is, is just common sense. And, you know, why should we invest resources in, in creating and developing a compliance co- culture? Because we have these Nordic values and everything's great here and we don't have any corruption. And, and people know how to do the right thing, you know, by heart. Yeah, and it almost feels like
1: um, in Finland that if we're building a cultural programs within companies or building a compliance programs, in a way it feels like we're admitting that there might be some problems and issues and the admitting part is not part of the Finnish culture because we like to be silent about the hard things and wrongdoings.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah that is that is I, I think so that is exactly the, the truth and and we don't always remember that actually ignoring something or putting something under the carpet might be even worse than actually doing something illegal or, or bad. So Exactly. So, yeah. You know, what one thing that kind of comes to my mind is also uh, a, a conversation I had with Andy Festo last year, uh, so the ex-CFO of, of Enron, and he said that, you know, the fa- ethical failure that happened to Enron, it was not a compliance issue. It was a cultural failure because in their mind and what happened if you actually go and, and try to understand this, you know, this is uh, the, the greatest compliance scandal ever that took place on this planet. And, and you know, we have a lot of, lot of information and studies about this, this scandal. But what happened there was that they were trying to be compliant by kind of uh, finding the loopholes in the legislations and in the rules. So they did everything they could to be compliant without thinking the ethical aspects of, of becoming uh, a compliant. And of course, at the end of the day, it, it wasn't really, really compliant. But but that's also one, one kind of a great story to think about if we try, want to understand or define that what culture of compliance even means. So I don't think that companies should aim for uh, compliance culture by thinking that what are the things that we do to make sure that we follow the legislation. I don't think following the legislation should be that the kind of uh, number one one target because that might kind of drive you blind. If we compare, for example, this Enron's case, case where you try to find the loopholes to 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 make use the best use of of the the legislation and the rules and and so on. But I would rather talk about, you know, the culture of integrity where, you know, that the rules are part of it, but but because you, you can't have a rule for all kind of a situations that are ethical dilemmas. So, so that's why I would more talk about the culture of integrity and uh, ethical culture.
1: So um, if we go beyond compliance and think about the work ethics and culture in general, the legal industry is quite known for our lovely culture of billable hours and burning the midnight oil. And um, up until now, it has felt quite normal. But um, now even this dinosaur industry of ours is seeing outbursts and demands of work-life balance and other similar normalities. And we're facing questions of how ethical it is to work people so much. And from my point of view, In the legal industry, culture has previously meant prestige and fancy offices and free soda and snacks. But now we're facing some new challenges and a lot of firms are designing or redesigning their culture. We're paying attention that we do things right within the industry. But what do you, Nina, think? Should people match the culture or should culture match the people and how to start the culture work in the legal industry?
0: Mm.
2: Oh, giving consultant advice to legal industry. <laughs> this is a scary task, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think you... Sorry about me <laughs> No,
0: no, no. You're no curious worries. to hear what, how you answer. <laughs>
1: Exactly, and it's always nice to hear from like a person who is not a lawyer because sometimes, well, yeah. quite often most of the times, few people see things so much more clear than we do.
0: Exactly, exactly,
2: yeah, yeah. In a way, I think it is okay to create a culture and then look for people who are a cultural fit, which is a very trendy word word these days. But but if at the same time, one must be very uh, kind of careful when you look at your culture. So do you really define your culture in a way that the reality is? And for a company who has this culture of billable hours, my, my strong recommendation in a way is to investigate a bit of the values of, of the potential employees or so the millennials and, and in a way, this would come I would come to a conclusion that actually if you want to be a successful company in any industry these days you really must understand the values of the of the people in a, in a sense that you maybe start matching your culture with, with these people but but this is a very very huge task for uh, a dinosaurs like you like you say it uh, but maybe one one way to Look at is 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 the employee experience that i, I kind of uh, mentioned. So in, in these companies where you where you have built your reputation and your history based on, uh, on this uh, kind of um, how to put it very performance driven uh, way, way of doing things. It's very important to understand that what's actually. What, what happens to the person who enters the room for example as a new new employee how does he or she perceive the culture you know how how does she or he define that you know what's what's appreciated here and what's not no matter how the culture is officially defined and and so on and I think if you think about you know, What kind of behavior is rewarded or or sanctioned? Uh, These are the, the, the questions that one will ask. And I think many companies still have these issues that, you know, you look at the code of conduct of the company and it says that, you know, people first, people are our greatest assets. And, you know, we have, for example, this personal life balance. But then, you know, is it really so? It's, it might be the thing that you would want to be, but at the same time, the manager is still sending the emails in the evenings or expecting you to work like crazy extra hours. And, and sometimes I hear also in the legal industry these stories about the companies who provide the employees free taxi or free babysitting or whatever service that actually, for me, creates a story. That you know, it's not really appreciated the, the personal life balance, but what is appreciated is, is that the the, the working long hours and giving up exactly on your, <laughs> yeah. So so these are the kind of uh, things how you create the culture. So I would cut off the babysitting services and tell people that you know go home, and and we have also these really great examples um, of the companies who actually, I, I heard the story of one company who actually. Put this this kind of a control to their their employees' um, uh, uh, computers that they were not able to open their intranet and email boxes at after 6 p.m. And then Oh, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) And so so it's a little bit different story than you know providing free babysitting service. Yeah.
1: So if we talk about compliance by design, do you I think that it is possible to be even be compliant if it's not part of the organizational culture. I mean, we write policies and tick the boxes. But at the end of the day, can we honestly say that we are compliant or ethical if we haven't decided our
2: culture to support compliance and ethics? Mm. That's a, that's a good question, and and maybe the right right answer is that yes, if you you think that you don't need to worry about your culture, but just the ticking the box, then you are walking on a, on a quite thin ice. And um, here this this question kind of brings back to, to me to my my glasses as a as a researcher when doing my my PhD, and uh, and in a way. I did my PhD uh, with Nokia's culture. It's a it's a very um, kind of the, the data is from the last decade, so back in the days when when Nokia had just launched its so called SOX compliance program after the Enron scandals and so on. But but this this the, the the research that I did was actually much about the compliance culture, even though I didn't realize it while I was I was doing it. And, and the, the story of Nokia, even though Nokia has not the best reputation in terms of culture when talking about leadership, for example. But for me, the, the cultural story of Nokia was a really a success story because uh, uh, when compared to many other organizations who were in the same place, who they were creating their SOX compliance programs which everyone who knows SOX knows that, that the SOX compliance means a lot, of, a lot of heavy documentation and ticking the boxes and doing audits and you know, formalizing your whole set of internal controls and then then uh, evaluating those. And many companies kind of failed in this exercise because they were just ticking the boxes. They were just looking at the, the, the kind of... Uh, written and technical part of the controls, but they didn't really care about the, the culture. But what Nokia did uh, uh, in, and what, what I have tried to prove with my PhD is that they, they kind of put the culture as the kind of first priority and then they had the col- controls. And actually the culture was the one who enabled people to actually fi- find the meaning of performing the controls and and increasing the possibility of of being compliant. And um, in a way, that's a great story of how you actually how actually your culture can support becoming compliant and also saving a lot of money and time in a way that you don't have to do this huge uh, overkill technical exercise, but you can also use the culture as a a way to control your organization in a a very positive
0: sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Here in Legal Design Podcast, we're, of course, interested about uh, compliance culture and how it is related to legal design. Um, And as we know, uh, legal design aims at making legal content more easier and effective to use, which is which makes it also a perfect tool for organizations and anyone to make their practices more compliant. And um, instead of just the traditional tick the box approaches where companies actually just document that they are somewhat aware of the compliance requirements, de- design can actually make people comply in real life. But uh, to be able to design something um, and do compliance by design, it means that the organization and the people first need need to become aware also um, of all the cultural issues that may hinder good compliance practices. And like like we discussed earlier, it it doesn't make any sense to even try to design uh, something um, if the people don't really understand the value of it, and that might be one sign of um, not so very working uh, organization culture. Um, You, Nina, have experience from consulting companies about organization cultural issues. What kind of tips could you give to to companies and, and managers who struggle with their compliance culture? And for example, how to get started with the sometimes awkward conversations about what to improve
2: there's there's no shortcut i think here because Mm -hmm. you know i think in this is maybe a a little bit this is maybe a little bit out of the, uh, the the topic but in a way um what, what kind of uh, irritates me in, in these conversations relating to corporate social responsibility is that, you know, it's, it's all fun and it's we all have a very, you know, same aim for saving the world. And this is, you know, something that it's, it's, it's kind of easy. But I think here when we talk about uh, really looking at your, your culture and the ethical issues, there are no organizations who doesn't have any ethical concerns or eth- ethical dilemmas and here you instead of thinking that this is something that you know is always rewarding and fun and and, and, and kind of easy here we have to remind that you know this is uh, there's no way out you have have to have these very awkward conversations to to understand also the decide the, the blind spots of your organizational culture and behaviors and beliefs that you, you have. And, and, and maybe you have become blind to those ones, uh, but you can't do this. Uh, you can't do this uh, work if you don't really um, go into this very uncomfortable zone. But it's, it's very difficult and it's very easy to just, you know, come to the conclusion that, hey, we have actually haven't had that much of issues. We actually do have a great culture. I I kind of have become allergic to this sentence that we have a great culture. Uh, Because, you know, to be able to say that you you must know your culture quite well.
0: Mm.
2: And maybe one practical tip is, is to kind of uh, start start with this why question that I mentioned before so you know why to even bother doing all of this why are you interested in, in looking at your culture and and you know why do you want to be compliant at going be beyond this this question of, of your reputation and, and brand image and, and so on okay um, this has been such a great discussion and just to
1: summarize all of this. Do you have any tips on what all the employees could do to promote the culture of doing things right at their organizations? Because I think, um, well, culture starts with people and this should be everybody's business, not just the management's business. So what could everybody do?
2: Yes, um, that's, a, that's a good question. And I think that, well, we we just discussed about having, having these ethical blind spots and, and bias, I think that what, what we all can do is to kind of start, maybe stop for a while and, and think how we could pro- probably identify the, the blind spots and the bias that we, we might have. Uh, and also asking ourselves that what are the, the beliefs that, that I have in my organization that actually relates to to all of these questions that we've talked about. That you know what's what's appreciated, what's rewarded, what's, how, what kind of an employee I have to be to become a member of, of this uh, organization and, and, and the, the, the the people in it. And sometimes this um, this kind of thinking might lead you into a conclusion that I want change. I, I don't want to be part of this culture, but sometimes you might actually find yourself also in a situation that I'm not actually sure if, if, if all of this is, is true or is it is it just something that I've, I've created myself. And many times then starting the difficult conversations after doing this kind of a self-thinking, maybe actually, uh, and, and very important, important uh, uh, building block in in this cultural development, and and I think we can all find uh, individually things that we can improve. One, let me give you a very concrete example. I think that. If I one thing maybe that I didn't mention in the definition of a a great culture, but I think this psychological safety is is one element if you would define that how to how to know know that your culture is in a good good position and and usually having the psychological safety is the one one thing that is in place. But this is also one typical. Uh, issue that Nordic companies have, that, you know, when there is the chance to open your mouth and say what you think, uh, when you are actually in the middle of of a decision making or or a team meeting or or whatever, many of us remain silent. And um, the the problem is that then uh, maybe after the meeting, when we, we know already during the, the conversation that we are not happy, but for a reason or another, we just don't say say it out loud. Loud, but then afterwards we start the after conversation with a colleague in the chat or in the coffee room or or whatever. And I think this kind of a gossiping or or, or being first silent and then having this huge throw up of your, your emotions when you are disappointed or, or something. This is one way to really um, uh, destroy your culture. And I think that here, I'm sure most of us have, have done this at some point in, in, in the working life, because it's very easy to, to do, do the kind of uh, gossiping exactly. afterwards. Yeah, but I think this it's is easier very... to yeah <laughs> talk to your colleague than yeah.
1: speaking up in front of everybody. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but this is a one very concrete thing that we can all all do in, in terms of you know making the culture much more inclusive and and uh, and kind of uh, um, because it's uh, if you think what is right in this in, in these situations then t- most often the the right answer is that, you know, if we want to be heard, we should be doing our best to to say what we want to say in the right right place. So let's be brave.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Nina. This has been a very interesting and a deep conversation, I would say, too, because um, first you think compliance is something like you just follow the rules, but actually you need to kind of find the rightness or the willingness to do the right thing inside yourself it's not necessarily something you just find from outside yourself but it's inside the organization and inside the people the the right thing how to do the right thing you have to find somehow the connection to that and then maybe it becomes a bit easier
2: that's a great way to summarize it Yeah, thank you for joining us.
1: Great discussions.
2: Thank you for for an invitation. This has been a very good way to spend an an hour.
0: Thank you for listening to the Legal Design Podcast. Get to know us at legaldesignpodcast.com.